and welcome to Simply Why. I'm your host, Connor Reed. Simply Why is a podcast brought to you by Indiana Wesleyan University, where we do a deep dive into the stories behind our outcomes. Our guests share the choices that changed their lives, the paths that led them to where they are, and of course, the why at the heart of it all. Our guest this week is Ron Mazellan. Ron is an illustrator and former professor of illustration at IWU. He has illustrated countless books by authors such as Tony Dungy and Cal Ripken Jr. He has also received the NAACP Image Award and Christopher Award for You Can Be a Friend. Ron, thank you so much for being on the show today. Glad to be here, Connor. All right, well, let's just start off with some deep philosophical questions then. Mm. Question number one, dogs or cats? Dogs. Pretty easy one on that. I think I got it. (laughs) (laughs) All right, question number two, baseball or football? Football. Mm. And number three, Norman Rockwell or Edward Hopper? Norman Rockwell. All right. Well, let's just start off this conversation just by going through a bit of your inspirations. So when did you first start to feel the itch for art and illustration? And what led you into, of all the fine arts, illustration itself? Yeah, it began when I was nine years old. I just started drawing. I was encouraged to draw by my mom. And as that developed, it was actually a place to get solitude. I'm one of nine kids. And so I was able to kind of sequester a small desk and kind of work in my little private world. And that started to emerge through high school. And then I had a high school teacher who really helped me to navigate two competing passions. One was football and one was art. And so in my senior year, she basically said, sports are temporary, arts forever. And so she encouraged me to go to art school, of which I did, graduated from there, continued to do art, but I had become a Christian when I was in high school. And I just had this deep passion to know more about God alongside learning about how to do art. So I attended Moody Bible Institute for two years and then transferred to Wheaton College. And from Wheaton College, moved to California to begin my career as an illustrator. Gotcha. And I know you were in California for a bit. So then what made you decide to transition from California to Indiana? There was just a little bit of backstory. While I was at Wheaton College, I worked at a racquetball club. One patron came in and basically asked me what I wanted to do after I graduated. I have this saying that I use in class many years ago. It's easy to be brave from a chair. And it's easy to have a dream when you're sitting in a chair, but actually acting on it is a whole nother story. So when that question was asked of me, what I wanted to do, I wanted to work for Disney, which was a lifetime dream since I was a kid, because that's what was in front of me all the time. The whole idea of art and production of it was so intriguing to me, but I never knew how to make that connection. But here it was in a racquetball court, not associated with art at all. That question's prompted I told the guy, his name was Roger, and I said, Roger, I want to work for Disney. And he says, well, my best friend's the art director there in Burbank, California. If you go to California, I'll get you the interview. That interview transpired into working as a graphic designer for the Disneyland Hotel. And that's what actually launched my career. I had a boss. My art director was a, an incredible uh, mentor, and he basically helped me to understand that art is business and that I can make a living at it. So it's just those conversations that emerged as transitional points so that I could learn how to connect those dots and make make a living at what I was doing. 
California provided just a great place for me to understand two levels of the business, and that was art and entertainment and how to freelance. But the story really goes back even further. My wife attended Indiana Wesleyan, and she basically helped me to understand how the people were just extraordinary to her. She had gone to Indiana Wesleyan from California, just recognized the value of um, mentoring. Ardelia Williams made that connection with her. Rod Crossman made that connection and Rob Kerfman. And those connections, even though that she had graduated, remained in play. There was a position at Indiana Wesleyan open and um, I applied for it. But then after Ardelia Williams contacted me, I just got cold feet and I said, no, I don't want to leave California. So we had made a, a transition to Colorado to shift my business. The job was open. And I basically asked God to and her to close the door on me before I close it on her. So long answer for a very good question. <laughs> very nice. So I kind of want to go back a little bit to what you were talking about. So we've interviewed quite a few artists on this show. And one thing that comes up quite a bit is balancing art and commerce, because there is the passion and the drive to make something important, something special, something artistic with mm -hmm. your art, but then also having to make a living. So how do you kind of balance those, maybe the corporate side of art with the personal passion? By nature, illustration is very much a business-driven entity. You basically have to learn how to collaborate with people. And those people are the ones that are hiring you to do a commission, a book, illustrate a manuscript, whatever that, that is. Those business principles, soft skills, I would call them, about how to work in an industry, obviously, it's very creative, but there's an outcome that everybody's looking for. And trying to visualize an outcome that someone has in their head is not an easy leap to make. So listening is one of those soft skills that you have to have. And you're basically giving up your idea for the good of another person. I see it as very much a service industry where I'm out there to, to uh, not just create business relationships and networks, but I'm out there to try to navigate a story that somebody has. I have the benefit of having an agent. That agent provides manuscripts that are already prepared for me to look at. The money part of it, when a student steps into a business environment, money can make things pretty weird so that you have to understand that suddenly art has value to it that it's monetary, and it's not just what goes on the canvas. Now there's something, there's another part of that story. I've tried to learn as much as I can about business. I didn't have those classes, and that's where the mentoring part really helped me to navigate that business side of things. Looking for that mentor or mentors is a journey in itself. You want great people in front of you so that you can take what they know and apply it to what you have. Mm, that's really great. Whenever you're working on illustrating a book, I know that in the industry, it's the sort of thing where the author writes the book and then it just kind of gets sent off, I think, to the publisher who then finds an illustrator and there really isn't much contact between the illustrator and the author. So then in those instances, how do you go about making your visual content for the written content and where do you find that inspiration? Maybe adapt your style mm. towards the book or work out any sort of those problems? The journey of doing book illustration as an example, 
by the time I get the manuscript, there are a series of illustrators that are already being considered for the project. And so it's very much like in the film industry where there are character actors that they're trying to figure out who is the best character for this piece. Illustration is much the same way. I do a lot of historical illustrations for books. And so my approach is very much about a realistic visual story. My agent has a plethora of illustrators that all have distinct styles that don't cross over. And so by the time my work gets presented to a publisher, they already have a portfolio of images that I have done in the past that represent what I do. And you're correct. The manuscript, once that's completed, the author and the illustrator are never allowed to speak. It's very much like in real estate, the buyer and the seller don't talk. The real estate agent does the talking. They want to make sure that the deal doesn't get nixed. They want to make sure that someone neutral is involved. There's only been one experience in all the decades that I've been doing this that an author has requested that I meet with them. And that was Tony Dungy. And so having that type of person who has the type of personality and that he wanted to meet the illustrator who was creating the story for his book, the publisher didn't like that a whole lot. I mean, that is not something that they favor, nor do they like to endorse because they have their creative team that they have a vision for the book too. And they want to make sure that that vision gets realized. And I can understand both sides. It just gets confusing when so many people are involved with an outcome of a, of a manuscript that has a due date to it. And everybody wants a New York Times bestseller on top of that. Yeah. Just through glancing on your website and other works, your work is just absolutely incredible and breathtaking. So what is your process then for the actual illustrations then? Like, how do you start off with a sketch? Do you just go straight to the canvas? What is your process for that? The process is... The manuscript, I have to be able to, when I read the words, I try to visualize pictures along with those words. So yes, a sketch is probably the best starting point for me. A sketch that I do, no one will ever see that. That is just a prompt to an idea that you never really live with for very long. So like a children's book's 32 pages, about 18 illustrations uh, for the children's book, and so you're producing a book that has to feel seamless, and then it has to be vetted by art directors and designers and a host of other people. So I will do that simple sketch, but that simple sketch gets developed into a very tight drawing, a drawing that is very understandable. And the designer and I start to work together about where the words are going to sit on the page along with the illustrations. Once those sketches are approved, I do a very tight drawing that everybody agrees upon. That tight drawing is then worked on with painting. I just work over that drawing, and then I move forward with completing the 18. I do the first illustration of the book first, then I do the last illustration as well. So they look identically the same. Then I sandwich them in between. So I do 1 and 18, then I do 2 and 17. Three and 16, and then until I get to the middle of the book. And that's the process that I do. So when I'm touching up, I usually will reserve about an hour or two to touch up. And that's like when you multiply that times 18, it's a pretty long ending point. Always a panic. Like, am I going to make the deadline? Is it going to look great? And there's disappointment at the end of a book, too. 
You're saying goodbye to something that you worked really hard on. You're also saying goodbye to something that you thought would work out better than it did. So there's an odd ending. And when you see the book, there's a little bit of rejoicing and a little bit of sadness that you could have made something better. And I think you live with that as an illustrator, as a creative person. There's a little bit of joy and there's a little bit of uh, disappointment going on at the same time. That reminds me very much of in the film industry, whenever a director is like finishing edits on a movie, that there's a saying that a movie is never finished. You just have to get to the point where, Mm -hmm. okay, this is all right to go out into the world and just stop right there because you can always keep on working on it. I, I so concur with what you're saying, because if I had two more hours, if I just had another day, you know, that type of thing just rings in your mind and you have to give up those things. If I didn't have a deadline, I would keep working. Yeah. Definitely. We're kind of transitioning then into talking about you teaching. So you were a tentpole at Indiana Wesleyan University in the art department. And I have heard from so many students and alumni that you were the reason why they said yes to going to IWU. And in fact, one of our previous guests, uh, Keith Lowe, talked about you in his episode saying you were just Mm. a huge part of his influence and reason why he came to IWU. So what was your experience like then transitioning from illustration to full-time faculty? And also, how do you actually teach art? I mean, I know you can teach fundamentals and that whole sort of thing, but how do you work with the students to kind of get them to a place where they are comfortable with their style and with what they're producing? Teaching and illustration, the only way that I could do it effectively was to work them side by side. One of the things that I would do is that I would bring the projects that I was working on in class to provide the students with the idea that this is possible. This is not just me being someone special that they can't produce, they can't be creative and be paid for it and make this a career. So I would do projects and work on them as demos in class so that people would see it done in some ways real time, that they would see a book that I'm working on. And they would see the process of doing it. The one thing you don't want to do as a professor in any creative avenue is to try to make people feel like they've got to do it like I do it. So you try to give the student enough space to be who they are as a creative person. The one indicator that I would always look for is what was in their sketchbook. Their sketchbook was the most truthful outcome that I could see that helped me to understand who they authentically were. When you're going through a four-year path with a student, you realize that that window is super short. Even though that for a student, it might feel long that, you know, we've got all these years to go, it is like a jet. And then you're going to suddenly send a student out into an industry that is incredibly competitive. What I tried to encourage them to do is understand that the community that they have at Indiana Westland was the best formation of accountability that they could have. That accountability would help the students peer-to-peer, help them to navigate that dream that they have beyond graduation. If they don't have a community, the success rate goes down pretty quickly because it is hard to survive in the arts all by yourself. You need the support of other people. And so critique in the way that you do it was always a part of the story I lived as an an illustrator because art directors always critiqued what I did. Publishers Weekly would critique a book that I would illustrate. I mean, you got to get used to that idea of feedback 
And sometimes it's things, and sometimes it helps prompt a better outcome for the next project. The school was just a great place to help students see what is possible for their lives because I have grandkids. I see so much potential in them. I saw that same potential in students that I taught. But you don't always get to know what the final outcome looks like when you look at the kind of work that's possible with them. Because nobody knows the potential of another human being. Their best friends don't know. Parents don't know. Profs don't know. The only one who knows is God alone. He only knows the potential and how that timeline could play into when they start to emerge and talent will mature. Because it takes a while for this thing to kind of gel. And that's why there's such an attrition of artists leaving because it doesn't come fast enough. You've got to embrace the slowness of how your career slowly morphs into something that you could not have imagined. That is wonderfully profound. So if there is a student who's listening in today who's wanting to go into illustration, what pieces of advice and encouragement would you give to them and maybe a way to help them hone their skills? I think one of the first steps is making sure that the group that they emerge with tries to stay intact. Having a community is is really important. The obvious ones are practice. There's no way to get better at this if you don't practice it. If you don't believe that this is possible, you will quit. And you have to be resilient. And learning resilience only comes through overcoming obstacles and realizing that I've got to be able to figure out how this is working. Seeking out people who've done it before. Helping people to understand that you have a dream just like they did. How did you make that happen? So we would bring speakers into class so that they didn't just hear my voice. Your fan base is going to be pretty small when you graduate. You're not going to have a big fan base. Instagram is not always the best indicator of getting somebody's attention because you start to depend on the likes. You start to depend on everybody else's opinion. If I post on Instagram, I post and run. I don't post to get likes. I haven't posted as much lately because I feel like in so many ways, I feel like it's just a way to boost my ego. And that's not always a great way to kind of understand the path that you're on, that it's it's about how many people approve of what it is that I'm doing. I would just encourage a student, just practice and don't stop just because you don't have something immediate. Mm. That is always great advice. And I could just keep on going on and keep on asking you questions, but I think that is a wonderful way to wrap up this episode. Ron, thank you so much for being on the show today. Is there anywhere people can go to check out your work or contact you or anything else that you want to promote? Yeah, they could contact me through email, r.mazellan at me.com. If they would like to look at Instagram, that would be the easiest way to, to navigate a conversation. Awesome. I'll make sure to put links to that in our show notes. Ron, thanks again for being on today. Thanks, Connor. Simply Why is brought to you by Indiana Wesleyan University. IWU is a nationally renowned, Christ-centered academic community dedicated to providing leading, innovative education opportunities for students of all ages, backgrounds, and life stages. To learn more about IWU's online, on-site, and hybrid programs, visit ind.wes.com. Edu. And make sure to follow us on social media as well. Thanks so much for listening and have a great day.